You're listening to After All Things, WSHU's daily news and culture update from the Long Island Sound region. An executive order in Nassau bans trans women from competing in women's sports. Connecticut officials warn residents about more sophisticated phone scams going around, and black businessmen in Connecticut recall the barriers they faced in the workforce. Those stories and more are coming up. I'm Sabrina Garone. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman has signed an executive order to ban transgender women from playing on women's sports teams at county facilities. WSHU's Molly Ingram has more. The executive order bans girls and women's sports teams at all levels, youth, college, and professional, from using Nassau County athletic facilities unless the teams agree to keep transgender women off the roster. Blakeman says he made the decision after speaking with parents and cisgender female athletes who compete as the gender they were assigned at birth. There is a movement for biological males to bully their way into competing in sports or leagues or teams that identify themselves or advertise themselves as girls or female or women's teams or leagues. We find that unacceptable. Blakeman says the ban is only on transgender girls. Transgender boys will be allowed to compete against cisgender boys. Molly Ingram, WSHU News. Supporters made a case to lawmakers yesterday for a controversial bill that would allow religious organizations in Connecticut create temporary shelters for the homeless on their property. WSHU's Ebong Udama has more. The Center Church in Hartford is one of the state's oldest churches and has done outreach to the homeless for decades. The Reverend Liza Arulampalam is the senior minister of the church. She told lawmakers on the Planning and Zoning Committee that the homelessness problem this winter is the worst her church has seen in decades. Evening of December 1st, we had almost 90 people lined up before our warming center opened for 40 spots. And so this is literally a matter of life or death for people. Literally, people freeze and die on the streets outside of our church every year because they have nowhere to go. Some of the committee members push back. Republican Representative Doug Dubitsky is concerned that the bill would override local zoning. I think this is a fairly dangerous bill. Proponents argue that the bill would prohibit people from living in such temporary structures for more than 12 months. Ebong Udama, WSH News. Increasing housing along rail and bus routes is at the heart of a bill being considered by Connecticut state lawmakers. Abigail Brone has more. Housing advocates are asking the state legislature to approve an updated version of a bill passed last year, promoting housing development along main transportation corridors. Pete Harrison, director of housing nonprofit Desegregate CT, says the bill's opponents are often afraid of change and don't realize the proposal is opt-in not a mandate. The reality is it is changing anyway. We want to have positive change that includes everybody. And without this kind of proposal, the change is going to be negative and really exclusionary and keep those same patterns in place. This year's version of the bill is focused on the community guidelines of transit-oriented developments, increasing environmental protections and paving the way for more affordable housing development. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Abigail Brown. A Connecticut law requires 25% of small business contracts go to minorities, but advocates say that needs to be improved. More on that coming up in just a bit. First, a message from our supporter. 
Local support comes from Hartford HealthCare, the only health system in the Northeast, with all its hospitals receiving A grades for safety from the LeapFrog Group, the nation's leading independent safety watchdog group, hartfordhealthcare.org. Phone, text, and email scams are on the rise, and they're becoming more sophisticated. Connecticut Attorney General William Tong says nobody is too smart to fall for a phishing scam. I failed an in-house security test at my desk in the office of the Attorney General. My IT manager came in and told me after I clicked on a link in an email, Mr. Attorney General, you failed an internal security test because you clicked on a link and that could have been a phishing scam. Tong wants to remind residents to stay vigilant. Even if you think a message is coming from a trusted source, contact that company on your own. He says the state will never call you to ask for an immediate payment on an unpaid bill. And if you are scammed, be sure to report it online to Tong's office. President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law will make a $50 billion investment in drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater infrastructure nationwide. Connecticut plans to use $61 million to fund the removal of dangerous PFAS, or forever chemicals, from local drinking water and replace lead service pipes. Meanwhile, New York plans to use $420 million to prevent coastal flooding and modernize critical water systems. The University of Connecticut has seen an 18% increase in first-year student applications to its stores campus in the past two years. Officials credit the university's reputation for continuing to attract prospective students despite declining applications nationwide. By the fall semester, UConn expects over 24,000 undergraduates across all of its campuses, with the majority being from Connecticut. After being forced to shut down due to flooding last year, the Art League of Long Island is now open to the public again. Flooding caused by heavy rains at the Dix Hills Art Gallery resulted in a lengthy renovation process costing nearly $500,000. Amy Tischler is with the Art League. We did some major renovations to our water management here in our parking lots. We put in six catch basins. We put in um, a riverbed rock area in the backyard to help disperse some of that extra water that we seem to be getting every time it rains. And then we did some minor improvements to the building since all the walls were open. Tischler says they have a lineup of reopening events, including the annual Go Ape High School Student Exhibition taking over the space this weekend. Racial justice reckoning in the summer of 2020 led corporations to implement diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. Four years later, those efforts have slowed, and so has support for Black-owned business. WSHU's Molly Ingram has more. Being promoted as a business executive is already hard. Being promoted as a Black business executive is even harder. You still have to be better than the white guy in order to get even a shot. That's Dr. Fred McKinney, Quinnipiac University's former chair for innovation and entrepreneurship. As a black businessman, he says he's worked in places where he didn't feel welcome. It's like you are going to a foreign land. And so, you know, that takes some adjustments on both 
your part, but also on the organization's part. And sometimes the organization is willing and able to make changes. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes you have people in positions of leadership in organizations that are supportive of inclusivity, and sometimes they're not. It's a story similar to Baron Witherspoon's who worked for Procter & Gamble for more than 35 years. Witherspoon says he dreamed of being a district manager in Texas. At the time, there was only one black person at the company ranked higher. It wasn't unreasonable for me to aspire to that and see that as a, as the top level that I might achieve. Early on, he realized the barriers he faced, but he didn't realize that other black P&G employees were going through the same thing. The minute you brought the whole group together, you saw sort of the universality of some of these things and common issues and so forth, and that created a reason for us to, you know, to be together to really articulate what those challenges were and to start working on them. By his retirement, Witherspoon was the vice president for global industry affairs and the corporate race initiative. After the 2020 police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, companies doubled down on diversity, equity, and inclusion to improve the workforce. There are currently eight black CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. That's doubled over the last four years. Witherspoon says he has seen those diversification measures before. Anytime there was a major diversity issue brought to the forefront, like you might recall folks like, you know, Jesse Jackson and others may have gone and penetrated into certain industries and exposed that these industries were lacking in their diversity. But the efforts didn't stick. According to a report from the management consultant firm McKinsey last November, black professionals are being promoted to management at the same rate they were in 2019. McKinney, who now focuses on supplier diversity with Trumbull-based BJM Solutions, blames that on the country's collective short memory. Now people are saying, well, why are we doing this? You know, what, what's the what's the value here? McKinney says Connecticut could become a more equitable place for black business people by amending its contracting laws. Currently, 25 percent of the state's contracts must go to small businesses and 25 percent of the small businesses must be minority owned. But McKinney says those minority-owned businesses are often white women. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a goal to do business with white women-owned businesses. That, they should have a goal. Blacks, Hispanics should have a goal. Asians, Native Americans should have a goal. And they shouldn't be mixed in together. And I think that has contributed to the lack of development of Black-owned firms in the state of Connecticut. That's a relatively simple change that I think would have a huge impact. In 2020, a study into the process of awarding state contracts began. Ahead of this legislative session, during a meeting of the state's Black and Latino caucus, State Senator Patricia Miller acknowledged the importance of the state's Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities for overseeing the study. We can finally make sure that Black and Hispanic uh, businesses receive some of the benefits that other businesses, and especially women-owned businesses, are receiving so that we can make that distinction between women-owned businesses and Black and Hispanic, that they're not all, you know, coupled together. Study results are expected in March. Molly Ingram, WSHU News. For the latest news, 
news from Long Island and Connecticut. You can listen on the radio or stream anytime with the WSHU app or on our website, WSHU.org. After All Things is supported by Hartford Healthcare. And just like everything else you hear on WSHU, this podcast is also made possible with support from our listeners. So please, if you like what you hear, you've been listening for a long time, consider making a donation to WSHU or even becoming a member. All the info on how to do that is there for you on our website. I'm Sabrina Garon. Have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow.